Today I want to be speaking about spiritual authority. Again, by way of definition of the word authority, that authority is delegated power to rule, to maintain order, to enforce laws. And so I want to now um, pick up uh, where we left off last week and specifically discuss spiritual authority. Um, in fact, I want to paint a picture, if you like, uh, and uh, the subtitle of today's message is Spiritual Authority in the Big Picture. I want to like, uh, you know, with every word, uh, uh, like a brush stroke, a stroke, if you like, on the canvas, so that by the time we get the end of this thing, we have got a good handle on spiritual authority and what it all means to us, and, and then we go on from there. So in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 26, of course, chapter 1, book of Genesis, talks about the account of creation, that God created the heavens and the earth, uh, God worked for six days, put everything in place. He rested on the seventh day. And it says here in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So we have just uh, read the passage where God, just having finished, creating the heavens and the earth, creating the firmament, the skies, the planets, uh, uh, the plants, the seas, the fish and all the animals and everything. God finished with that and the God created man and God says, let us create man in our image and in our likeness. It's interesting how God, singular, speaks of us and our. And of course we understand that God is a triune God, uh, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Uh, three persons, one God. Figure that one out, all right? Uh, if you like, uh, one of the closest things that we can uh, describe in terms of, uh, of the Trinity is a, is a married couple that are becoming one. They're so one that if one speaks, they're speaking for the both of them. And there's no division, there's no fights, there's no, no quarrels, there's no like uh, one-upmanship uh, because they're just so, so one. And this is what... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are there. are so one. Uh, he says, let us make man in our image. Now, immediately when God finished creation, and even in the, in the same stroke as he talks about creation, God puts the authority structure in place. Uh, there's got to be authority. When you put uh, people together and beings and, and like things, when you set something up, you've got to put an authority structure in place. And God determined that the man was to have dominion in the earth. Um, now it's interesting, you listen to the humanists, they will tell you that man, that we're just another animal uh, in a whole bunch, of, in a whole row of other animals. Um, but we're not an animal. <laughs> we're God's special creation. God has set us up to be ruling over the earth. Um, and uh, you know the word dominion there is an interesting word. Uh, before we said last week, that uh, when the Bible uses the word dominion, it means authority. And when it says authority, it means dominion. Um, the, the original text there, if we study that word dominion, it means to rule over, to dominate, to direct, to lead, to control, and to subdue. Um, and uh, so the indication, uh, you know, they tell us that Hebrew is a very descriptive language. Um, and it is also a very diverse language in the sense that you've got different words for diff with different meanings attached to it. Uh, and uh, so the meanings attached to this word, when God says, let us make man and let man have dominion, that, that's what he meant. That man was to rule over, to dominate, to direct, to lead, to control, to subdue. And uh, in one dictionary, it says to manage or govern an entity with considerable or forceful authority. All right, so this is not just passively letting thing, things run their course, but to forcefully take authority. Now, there's an indication there, um, in brackets in the outline there, that in some contexts, the object being controlled is hostile. All right, so God built into the language there when he said that let a man have dominion in the earth, 
he indicated there that there was going to be beings in the earth that might be hostile, in this instance reference to the devil, that was going to come into the Garden of Eden in the form of a serpent uh, and begin to like wiggle his way around and try to, you know, to move and to operate in that setting. God told Adam, he says, uh, you watch out, Adam. He says, you take dominion and uh, just remember that you're the highest authority in the earth. So God appointed Adam as the supreme ruler in the earth. Only God was to be higher in rank um, than man. Otherwise, man had complete and total authority in the earth. Now, of course, uh, we've said last week that we could misuse our authority. And, uh, and somehow, I don't think that it should be left to the greenies to be waving the flag of looking after the environment. I think that ought to be a concern of every one of us, particularly as people of God, that we're not misusing the authority and, uh, and as it were, operating uh, with, with no concern for the environment, but that we are properly exercising authority and doing everything that is right. Um, God says, let, let, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Sometimes people say, I wonder what God looks like. Well, uh, let's look at us, and we will get an indication what God looks like. If I were to get up in the morning, which I do every morning, uh, and I go into the bathroom, and I do that every morning, and I look in the mirror, and I do that every morning, and I don't tell myself that I'm a handsome fellow every morning, but I do occasionally. And so I look in the mirror, and, uh, and I see an image of myself, as you do when you get up in the morning, as you do every morning, walk into the bathroom, look in the mirror, we do that every morning. You look in the mirror, you see an image of yourself. When God says, let us make man in our image, well, what might that mean? All right? That, that means that God's got one head, not three. God's got two arms, two legs. <laughs> okay? So does that make sense? So let's not spiritualize this thing. You know, in some instances you see images of God, gods or goddesses, you know, in various religions and everything. You get these monster-looking type gods. Our God doesn't look like a monster. All right. Uh, I'm somewhat loath to say that God looks like a human being. I think what we need to say is that human beings look like God. All right. We're made in His image and we're also made in His likeness. All right. Um, and uh, so we're made to look like God and we're made to be like Him. The uh, New English translation says, Let us make mankind in our image after our likeness, so they may rule over. There's a message in that, friends. You see, God rules. God, the very nature of God is to rule and to, 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 to be in authority. God's the ultimate authority. And, and God says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness so they may rule. You see that? And in the, uh, the new NIV translation, it says, so that they may rule. So God made us in His image and His likeness so that we were able to rule. See, animals don't rule. Animals don't have the capacity to rule over the, over the planet. Uh, now, of course, animals, there's a, uh, there's a pecking order amongst animals. <laughs> there's, if you like, an authority structure amongst pack animals and so forth. But that's about the, the full extent of it. And, and you and I, we're not animals and we're not pack animals. We are human beings made in the image and in the likeness of God. Monkeys are not our uncles. All right? Forget that. I really, I really feel sorry for the young generation today that are watching TV and going to school and hearing all of this stuff about evolution and watching, you know... Um, um, Discovery Channel and watching all of these nature programs, you know, 70 million years ago and 20 million years ago and dinosaurs and, and all of this other stuff and, you know, that man kind of emerged, you know, like a, uh, uh, like a, a bug out of a uh, pit hole, out of some slime or something, but a bit of warm air and a bit of sunshine and, and you know, gradually evolved. That's <laughs> not what the Bible tells us. All right, God created us. And then you see these images of this caveman. God didn't uh, put man in a cave. God gave man the intelligence to build himself a house. To live in some decent place rather than crawling into a, into a hole like an animal. Come on now. So God created us in his image and in his likeness so that we can rule the earth 
is God rules the universe. God rules the universe, and God put man into the earth to rule the earth. All right? Now, here in, in verse 27 of uh, Genesis chapter 1, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. First of all, God says, let us make man. And now he's actually going ahead to make man. He says, uh, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. A governor is one who is under authority to a president, to a king, to some supreme. But then being under authority, he's in authority. He governs a particular territory, a particular sphere of influence. All right. He says, govern it, reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. You know, this is interesting, but in the King James Version, it says that everything that uh, creeps along the ground, and it's been said that there you are, God's put us uh, in authority over the devil because the devil is a creep. And uh, so everything that creeps along the ground, God says, you've got authority over it. Uh, anyway, some of us are excited over that. So God actually delegated authority to mankind in that place right there, and he commissioned man to be the governing authority in the earth. Delegate, uh, authority was delegated to Adam. All right. Adam's rule and authority was all-inclusive, meaning that uh, his rulership in the earth didn't exclude anything or anybody except God. And of course, what Adam should have known when, he, when, when, when the serpent came and, and visited them and began to like beguile Eve, and, and Adam sort of just stood right there and said, don't, don't you do that, you, you get out of here. Should have exercised his, his authority. All right. Now in Psalm 115, verse 16, it says, The heaven of heavens are for God, but he put us in charge in the earth. So we're in charge in the earth. All right. Mankind was to be in charge of the earth. That was God's original plan, and uh, that was God's uh, like uh, purpose. Now, of course, we understand that there is something that went drastically wrong. Uh, uh, Bible scholars refer to it as the fall of man, where the authority was lost. Authority was, as it were, handed over. And I want to have a look at that. It's all part of that big picture. If we understand this, uh, then we can exercise authority and we can get our head around, as it were, as to how we are to operate and why we can operate like that, rather than saying, well, just whatever will happen, will happen. Which is like, you know, you can't help it. It's just stuff happens. You know, circumstances, this and that, and you just got to do the best you can. Well, no, we don't do the best we can. We take authority. All right. And uh, God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and he told them that they could freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, including the tree of life. So man was created to live forever. All right. But God told them, do not partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, what does that tree mean, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, it means a number of things. Because um, one of the things that it means is that uh, they already knew good. Why would you want to get to know evil? They already knew God. They already knew good. They only had capacity to operate in good. So why do you want to get to know evil? Now, of course, a couple of other things that uh, that, that that tree of the knowledge of good and evil stands for. It stands, uh, number one, for God's authority being higher than Adam's authority. It's Adam, remember, I put you in charge, but remember that I'm in charge of you. So in other words, you don't do anything and everything that you want to. You know, there's some absolutes in place. God put an absolute in place. Now, nowadays, most people are pursuing what's called relativism. Everything is relative. Just whatever it means to you. Uh, it means something different to me, and everything shifts. How do you know that the Word of God is absolute? And God does not change. All right? So it means that God's authority is higher than Adam's authority, and it also means the free will of mankind. It's Adam, I put you in charge. There is a tree there. Don't partake of it. God told him, commanded him, advised him, tell him, don't, don't do it, because in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And people said, well, they ate and they didn't die, did they? Well, yes, they did. 
If you look at the original text there, it says, in dying, you will surely die. The moment they ate of that fruit, they died immediately on the inside. Their spirit got disconnected from God and spiritual death entered on the inside. And then they began to die on the outside. And uh, some of these guys lived to eight, nine hundred years and now we got lifespan reduced like way down. That was never part of God's plan, never part of God's purpose. All right? And so, that's exactly what happened there. That uh, they, Satan tricked Adam and Eve into disobeying God, and in doing so, Satan usurped their authority. Remember, the word usurp means to grab authority, rather than waiting for somebody to give it uh, to, to, to them, because the devil would have never been given authority, so he, he grabbed it, he usurped it, and he used trickery. See, even back then, if the devil were all-powerful, as he sometimes make, makes out to some people, why didn't he just go in there and grab it off them? He doesn't have the power to do that. He doesn't, certainly didn't have the authority to do so. That's why he uses trickery. Even to this day, the devil isn't all-powerful. He's actually quite limited, really. Uh, that's why he works on deception. Because if he had power to do the stuff that he wants to do, he wouldn't have to use deception. If you were this huge, big devil that can, you know, make people sick anytime he wants to, rip them off and do all of this other stuff, no, he uses trickery to do that. So in Genesis chapter 3, we have the story here, verse 1. The serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals that the Lord has made. He said to the woman, now remember when he speaks about the serpent, this is about the devil that crept into the garden there, um, in the form of a serpent. In fact, over in Revelation, it speaks about the serpent. And so, be clear, this is not just an animal coming to, to uh, uh, creep its way into, <laughs> into Eve's presence, as it were, and starting to talk to her. This is the devil. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Isn't it incredible how the devil still uses the same lingo today? Did God really say that you healed? Did God really say he will supply your needs? Did God really say that He's blessed you with all spiritual blessings? Did He really say that? And unless you and I know what the Word says and we stand our ground, we can fall prey to the devil's trickery, just like they fell uh, prey to the devil's trickery. You, uh, did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the servant, we may eat fruit uh, from the trees in the garden, but God said you must not eat fruit uh, from the tree in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. Um, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, uh, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, to some extent, there was like a truth in there that they were going to come into knowledge that they, they didn't have before. Um, being like God, knowing good and evil, up to that point, they only knew good. They didn't know evil. All right? But what the devil did not tell them was, that uh, they were going to get to know evil, but they had no more power to resist evil. See, God knows evil, and He's got the power just absolutely, just uh, not in any way tempted to go the evil way. But man lost the power uh, to, to uh, as it were, to, to choose between, between the two, and the devil didn't tell him that. It's like the devil comes with a great big temptation, dresses it up all nicely, and says, there you go. Like, have a little bit of fun, do a bit of this, a bit of that. It doesn't tell us that he uses that to ensnare us rather than uh, to give us a good time. The devil's not interested in people having a good time. He's only interested in ensnaring people and using them for his purposes. And when, verse 6, when the woman saw that the, the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate and she also gave to her husband who was with her who was with her, who was with her, who was with her. Okay, sometimes, you know, you get some of these male chauvinists that say, oh, it's the woman's fault. She should have known better. Well, he should have known better too. And then say, well, it's the woman that transgressed. Uh, isn't that what it tells us? Well, yeah, but the Bible speaks of Adam's transgression, just the same. So Adam should have just taken authority right there, should have just gone over to the snake, 
put his foot on the snake and just crunch down and say, that's the end of you. You're not coming in here uh, to do what you're trying to do and everything. Should have just told the snake, you get out of here. But he didn't. He just watched this whole thing, abdicated authority. Well, okay, Sarah, Sarah, whatever we'll do, will be, will be. You can, nothing much you can do about that. Look, you know, Eve just wants to do it. We can, we can pray. <laughs> okay. We can pray. So Adam and Eve disobeyed their higher authority. And as soon as they slipped out from under authority, they lost their authority. All right? They disobeyed their high authority, which of course is God. And then they submitted to a no authority, namely the devil. The devil had no authority. So they submitted to the devil, who is a no authority, and their God-given authority transferred from them to the devil. Now we've got the devil in charge. It's interesting that. I remember a number of years ago I was working in one place and uh, there was uh, one of my co-workers who was responsible for one thing or other and, uh, and we sort of talked about who should do the job and everything. And he says, well, look, he says, if you will do it, he says, and he sort of came and he put, he put his hand on my shoulder and he scraped the cross like this to figuratively to scrape the authority across from, from him to me. And he says, now you're in charge. You, you're responsible for that. And that, if you like, describes what really happened in that particular setting there, that if you like, the, the devil just uh, you know, usurped and, and Adam just saw the authority slip away from him. You know, when people in the army or in the navy or in, in one of these, uh, you know, the armed forces and they got the uniforms on, where do they wear their, their, their badges and their things? They wear it on, on their shoulders and on their chest to let everybody know that they're in authority. Now, <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself, but if you're a believer, you're in authority, if you could see yourself in the realm of the Spirit, you would be impressed. Like you would be impressed, like you're just like, wow, look what God's done. He's vested authority in me. A lot of Christians don't know it though. <laughs> you see, they don't look in the realm of the Spirit. They only look and say, well, I'm just so weak, you know. I can't really do much and I'm not important and I don't know anything. You know, it's a bit like, like, uh, like uh, Saul said, and we talked about Saul a few weeks ago. I'm just from the weakest tribe, you know, from the weakest clan, the weakest family. Why do you call me, you know? Um, and everything. If you could see yourself in the realm of the Spirit, you'd be amazed. All right? <laughs> so, John chapter 12 now bears out what we are talking about. It says, The time, and this is Jesus speaking, verse 31, the time for judging this world has come. Jesus is now with his disciples. He's facing the cross, he's about to be captured. He talks to them about the things of the Spirit, you know, being baptized with the Holy Ghost and the Helper will come and all of this stuff. And he says, the time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Now the word lifted up there is not about us praising God and lifting him up. This specifically speaks about crucifixion. They used to call it being lifted up. Why? Because they have the cross lying down, they nail somebody to the, to the cross, and then they lift them up. All right? He says, he says, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Now, how did Satan, this rebel, this rogue, renegade uh, angel, how did he become the ruler of the world? Or Satan, uh, should I say, Adam gave him the rulership back there in the Garden of Eden. That's how the devil got to be in charge. You know, somehow there is a bit of an anomaly there when sometimes, you know, we sing the songs and we sing it again this morning. It's not wrong to do that. But if we say, our God reigns and our God reigns and our God reigns. Listen, God only reigns in your life and in my life to the extent that uh, we're giving Him authority to do so. We certainly can't say that God's ruling in the nations around the world. If He did, He'd do a terrible job. Terrible job. What a mess. Look at the nations. Wars and rumors of wars, famines and everything. See, God is not in charge in that respect. The Bible tells us over in, in, in the letters that it says that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. See, the devil is now exercising authority and doing all of this stuff that really uh, that was never part of God's plan. There were treason. See, how did Satan become the authority in the earth? 
um, Adam committed treason. Some call it high treason. The word high treason means when a, a subject to a king or a sovereign, uh, a citizen of a particular country, aids the enemy. That's called high treason. That's why spies uh, are also spies that hand over state secrets to the enemy are committing treason. That's exactly what happened here. Adam was, had the authority vested in him and he handed it over to the devil. That's how the devil became the ruler of this world. The word treason, uh, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I like words. I got a dictionary and I said, what does that mean? The word treason comes from, from the original uh, Latin word which means handing over. That's what's happened. The, Adam handed over the authority to Satan. And now we got the devil roaming the earth. We got demon spirits just doing stuff that they ought not to be doing. In Luke chapter 4, um, we're still just painting the picture. In Luke chapter 4, the Bible speaks about the temptation of Jesus that he experienced having uh, spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. He was just uh, uh, baptized and he's in the wilderness now getting ready to begin his public ministry that lasted for some three years that was going to end with his death, with his burial, and with his resurrection. And it says here in verse 5 of Luke chapter 4, Then the devil, taking Jesus up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me. And I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me, all will be yours. Now what's interesting here is that the whole human race came under the influence and uh, if you like, under the bondage to the devil. Ma mankind became subservient to the devil. Now this is not something that anybody, you know, everybody would enjoy, but somehow, somehow, every human being... Uh, you know, being born is somehow subject to the devil operating in their life. Now, this is good people, well-meaning people, but you know, just a little bit of selfishness, just a little bit of, just a bit of a lie, just a bit of a, you know, this and a bit of anger and a bit of, bit of sexual, a sexual desire unbridled. The devil hooks into people and he pulls them around by the nose and manipulates them. That's why when Jesus came along. Jesus did not have an earthly father. Therefore, he did not have that inborn, uh, if you like, that inborn sin problem that the Bible speaks about. Uh, and uh, in fact, Jesus says, he says, the ruler of this world is coming and he has got nothing in me. See, Jesus Christ was the only human being that could not be manipulated by the devil and led around by that, as it were, like you'd lead around the you know, a beast with a ring through its nose, as they sometimes do, and just, uh, you know, lead it around and everything. Jesus says, the devil, the devil has nothing in me. There's no sin in Jesus whatsoever. Jesus did not have an earthly father. Therefore, he did not come under that same devil rule, devil rule that everybody else was under. So the devil takes him up on that mountain and said, Jesus, look around, all the kingdoms, showed it to him in a moment of time. There was some supernatural deal going on where, you know, the devil was able to show Jesus all of, this, uh, all of these kingdoms there. Look over there. There's the Roman kingdom. Look over there. There are the Grecians. And he, look, all the known world there. And he says, all this authority. The devil said, I've got it. But if you fall down and worship me, bow down to me, uh, which is effectively what Adam and Eve did. Ba back in the Garden of Eden, they submitted to the devil. If you do that, he says, I'll give you all of this stuff. You see, why did the devil try to do that? Because he realized that this man called Jesus was different, couldn't be manipulated, couldn't be led around, couldn't be like used like other people are used. You know, sometimes well-meaning people, the devil uses them amazingly. It's like, what? You know, well-meaning people, just in ignorance, doing just the weirdest stuff, funny stuff. Amazing. Well, because we know that uh, Jesus did not bow to Satan's temptation. He followed God's plan to die on the cross, and in doing so, he stripped the devil of his authority.
So the devil said, this has been delivered to me. This authority, this dominion, it's mine. It was delivered to me when was that way back in the garden. That's how he got to be in charge, as it were. Not right, not rightfully, but somehow by usurping that authority. There's a few more scriptures there that basically tell us the same thing. In Acts chapter 26, verse 17, it says, Delivering you from the Jewish people, verse 17, it says, From the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Here is Paul the Apostle telling us how when Jesus appeared to him, he, he commissioned him. Um, he says, you're a Jew, I'll set you free from the Jewish people so you're not under the fear of them. I'll set you free from the Gentile people and I'm sending you to non-Jewish people to preach the gospel in these environments. Verse 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. So in other words, unsaved people are under the dominion of the devil. Okay? There's no nice way to say that. That's basically what the Bible says. Okay? In order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance amongst those who have been sanctified by faith in me. You see, what happens is that it's the preaching of the gospel that opens the eyes of spiritually lost people and when they fully surrender to God through Jesus Christ, they moved out from under the devil's dominion and moved under God's authority again. Um, and so, friends, that's good news because if you are saved, you are technically, positionally, no longer under the devil's authority. Uh, in fact, you're in authority, and that's where we're going. I want to just, as I say, paint the whole picture. For many of you, this is not in any way new. You've heard this before. But, you know, we need to hear it again so that we can exercise authority with a knowing, with a revelation that they will know you will not do that. No, you will not push me around. No, you will not push around my family, my friends, and my work colleagues. And no, you will not invade this place. And, and just basically standing our ground. All right. So, he says, from, turn them from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins. And here in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, it says that Jesus stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their shame authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, that act, as it were, paid the price for the sin of Adam, primarily, and every other sin that's been committed up to that point, at that particular time, and every future sin, it's all paid for. And it was sin that the devil used to keep people down. If the sin problem is dealt with, once we're born again, we're moving out from under the authority of the devil and he can no longer lord it over us. The devil uses deception, uses condemnation, uses memory of stuff that we've done just to try to push us back under and say, you're still under my authority. Well, no, we're not. Friend, if you're born again, you're free. And the Bible tells us that he whom the Son sets free, he shall be free indeed. Just wake up to the truth, my friend. The picture that's given here is that, uh, that uh, you know, in the old days, uh, Roman generals and Roman armies would go out and capture new territory and capture the kings and some of the nobles and then bring them back to, uh, to, as it were, bring him back to, to, to Rome and to, as it were, uh, bring him under the subject, uh, subjection of the emperor, of the Roman emperor. And what they would do is they would drag these guys through the street and many times strip them of, of, of all their clothes, they're, they're, they're naked, strip them, strip them of all their dignity, already having stripped them of their authority and dragged them through the streets. And the streets were lying, people shouting, Yahoo, Yahoo, Yahoo. We've, is it real? Won another victory, and how wonderful it is for our army, you know, and generals and everything to do all of this stuff. And that's the picture that Paul uses that when Jesus died on the cross and he went to 
they, 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 right into hell, and he was there for three days and three nights, and he suffered for a while. As he will suffer the fate that you and I would have had to suffer throughout eternity, Jesus suffered for a while, and when the courts of heaven were satisfied that the price had been fully paid through the blood of Jesus Christ, and Jesus having gone there as our substitute, then the Bible says that Jesus rose again from the dead. But before he rose again, he went over to the devil, beat him up real good, and stripped him of the authority and ripped everything off of him that he grabbed off of Adam back there. And he says, but the Bible says that he took the keys of Hades and of death. He said, devil, you are no longer in charge. And you know, back then they would bring these people before the Roman emperor and they would make them lie down and uh, the Roman emperor, otherwise the general, put their head on the necks of these people to indicate, their, their foot on the necks of these people to indicate that they were now under authority. You're completely stripped. You are done. You have had it. And that's exactly the language that Paul uses there, saying that uh, Jesus stripped the tyrants uh, of the universe, you know, these rogue uh, devil and demon spirits, high-ranking demon spirits, whatever they are, stripped them all and dragged them through the streets of the heavenlies for all to see. This thing wasn't done in a corner. It wasn't done in hiding anywhere. It was done for all to see that the devil is no longer in charge. Much of a why is he still operating? Well, he's a rogue. He's a criminal. Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Isn't that amazing? Jesus appears to his disciples. In fact, he appeared to them after his resurrection several times. But right here, what we call the Great Commission, he appears to them and said, Guess what, guys? <laughs> he says, All authority... All authority in heaven and in earth, the Bible tells us in another portion, even beings under the earth, it's all being given to me. Now, it's interesting. Jesus, as it were, didn't just run over to the devil and strip him of these medals and of these signs of authority, though he did. He, he didn't just do that and then stick it on himself because that would have meant grabbing authority. Now Jesus waited, and he took all of that to heaven, and he took it to the Father. And the first thing that Jesus did when he arrived in heaven, the Bible tells us there is a sanctuary in heaven. There is a tabernacle, much like the tabernacle of Moses. You know, Hebrews speaks about the, the place of worship that they used in the wilderness there, and that the priests had to take some blood and they had to take it right into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat and everything. Jesus took his own blood to heaven. The Bible says that the earthly things are made after a heavenly pattern. And Jesus is the high priest, went in there and he sprinkled his own blood on that mercy seat and dealt with the sin problem once and for all. And then after that time, uh, there was a ceremony in heaven. Uh, the book of Daniel speaks about it. It says that there were thrones set up in heaven and the ancients of days were seated. And the Bible says that he's, he's, he's white hair and that he's sitting on, on a throne made of fire, if you like. In fact, if I can find this passage, it's not in your outline, but see if I can find that for you. Uh, <clears throat> Daniel, praise God. Uh, no, not right here. Anyway, though, some other time. I believe it's Daniel chapter 9. Um, it was a ceremony in heaven. Here's the Father sitting on a throne. And the Bible says that one like the Son of Man came near. And there was given to him dominion and authority over all the peoples, all the nations, all the languages. There was given to him a kingdom, the Bible says, that will endure forever. Alright, so Jesus single-handedly defeated the devil, grabbed the authority and laid it at the Father's feet and waiting to have the authority vested in him rather than grabbing it as it were. He just waited 
and there was that ceremony in heaven uh, that after the, as it were, Jesus had dragged the devil around and made a show of him openly. And now Jesus appears to his disciples and he says, Hey guys, all authority has been given to me. Guys, remember, the devil is no longer in charge. Why don't we find much reference of the devil in the Old Testament? But what would they have done with it? They didn't have authority over him anyway. But now we do. We got teaching in the New Testament about the devil. And now the teaching in the New Testament tells us, uh, unlocks the references in the Old Testament about the devil that's using like figurative language, like the king of Tyre and people in, in Isaiah. For those of you that are students of the word that are interested in checking it out for yourself, Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel chapter 28, it speaks about the devil. And now in the New Testament, the Bible says that these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. You know, they had exorcists uh, uh, in those days that used to move around. The Jewish people had exorcists and so forth. And in fact, you get in different cultures, you get exorcists today using various rituals and sprinkling of waters and, uh, you know, branches waving about and what have you. And the devil likes those games because in some instances he likes, moves back and gives them a measure of success. So, oh, that person is free. But, you know, unless the person is born again, the Bible says if the devil is cast out, he goes out and he goes into dry places, seeks rest and finds none. Then he comes back, bringing seven devils worse than himself, and he re-enters that person again, and then the latter state is, is worse than the former state of that person. So there is no such deliverance. Uh, such a, there's no such thing as, as deliverance uh, outside the kingdom of God and outside the, you know, the name of Jesus Christ and outside them being born again. If we get somebody set free, we better get them born again quickly. Because otherwise the latter state of that person will be worse than the former state. All authority has been given to me in heaven and in the earth. Therefore go and make disciples. And when he said, therefore go and make disciples, he gave this, given us the authority. And friends, we, the church, the body of Christ, and now the spiritual authority in the earth. You know, it's uh, been pointed out that uh, Jesus, amongst other things, is actually called the last Adam. Now that's hugely significant. Because the Bible speaks of the first Adam, the Adam who messed up, who handed the authority to the devil, and then the last Adam who took the authority and then was given that authority himself. And as soon as Jesus stood there telling his disciples that, that he now had authority, he says, you go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Teach them all of these things, of all the things that I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. So Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 says, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. This is speaking about Jesus. That he humbled himself, the Bible tells us, became a servant to the point of death, and therefore God has highly exalted him. Or has exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And friend, here's the key. If you miss this, nothing else will work for you. Here's the key. The authority is vested not just in Jesus Christ, the person, but the authority is vested in the name. In the name. These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. When we use the name in prayer and we speak into situations, I mean, we've got authority. When we go to the Father, we use the name of Jesus, we're standing right in the presence of God. 
It's like the Father is all here as if Jesus were to approach. In the earth, we speak into situations, we use the name, and if we do so from a point of revelation, all demon spirits will listen and will obey. Circumstances and situations, we speak the name and we speak the word of God. The Bible says that God has sent His word into the earth and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. There is an aspect of power that is resident, that is inherent in the word when we speak the word including the name. There's creative power that is released that goes into situations and into people's lives and into circumstances to bring order, to enforce God's laws, to enforce the will of God in these situations. The trouble is, authority is an invisible thing in itself. As I say, we get signs, uh, badges of authority on people's uniforms, but authority in itself is invisible but we see the effects of authority. Then people say, well, I used the name and nothing... You know, people get discouraged. I used it and nothing happened. Well, well, something happens in the realm of the Spirit first. And before it happens in the visible realm, there's, there's like sometimes a time frame from the time that we pray to the time that the manifestation of what we have prayed comes to pass. And at the end of the day, friends, we don't go by circumstances. We go by what the Word says. Sure, we have prayed at times and we haven't seen the results. And sure, there's been instances where we thought, you know, we had done everything and it didn't quite work out the way that it has, but we keep on going back to the Word. What does the Word say? We do not, as it were, put the Word and the experiences on equal footing. We, we just never do that. The Bible says that God has exalted His Word above His own name. God says, I've spoken the word. He says, I will not alter it. He says, the, the covenant that's come out of my mouth, He says, I will not change it. I will not alter it. God says, I'm the Lord. I do not change. Jesus says, the word cannot be broken. It cannot be annulled or kind of overridden as it were. God's word stands as far as God's concerned. So where's the authority? It's in the name. It's in the name. Yeah, well, well, I say it in the name of Jesus and it didn't quite happen. Well, listen, it's not about parroting the name of Jesus just because it worked for somebody else who, who used the name with an understanding, who used the name with a, with, a, with a revelation behind it. Otherwise, we could literally, we could literally grab ourselves a bunch of parrots and train them to say, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, and let them all loose and expect the whole world to be saved, as it were. God has highly exalted him. Kenneth Hagin said that uh, he read a book every year called The Name of Jesus because he wanted to operate with a revelation each time many prayed. It's like keeping that revelation strong, keeping it alive. Luke chapter 10, Jesus had sent out his, his disciples. He says, go out, he says, preach the gospel. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. Now, interesting that this is prior to Jesus dying on the cross and paying the price. Jesus, as it were, gave... These guys, some of his own authority that he had, simply on the fact that he was a human being, he had a right to be here, but he wasn't under the devil's authority because Jesus didn't have an earthly father. You know, they refer to <laughs> Joseph as his father, but uh, you know, we, we, we talk about the we talk about the the, uh, the the conception of Jesus Christ didn't happen by Joseph being involved in any way whatsoever. The Bible tells us that. The power of the highest overshadowed Mary. She was a virgin and she brought forth a child that had been fathered by God Himself. And Jesus gave His authority to some of these guys to go out and to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, to take authority. This is what they said that they returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons 
are subject to us in your name. That was unheard of. That was unheard of up to that point. They didn't have authority over demons back in the Old Testament. They had the law, and so long as they obeyed the law, they provided, if you like, a sense of, you know, like an umbrella of protection over them, so long as they stayed within the covenant, within the law, you know, things sort of worked out. But to have authority over that rogue demon spirit called Satan and his his cronies, that was unheard of. They said, even demons, it's like, they said, Lord, we are amazed that even demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. Serpents, language again, uh, way back in the Garden of Eden where the serpent crept in. I give you authority over that creep, he says. Serpents and scorpions uh, that will try, try scorpions like demons that will try to bite you, snap at your heels. He says, I give you authority over them and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. It's like, how fantastic is that? That we got authority, that the devil is under our feet. But he says, that's fantastic. But it's more fantastic that your names are written in the book of life and that you're going to heaven. It's like, you know, not becoming all demon conscious as it were. It's like, let's deal with them wherever and whenever we need to deal with them. And then let's just rejoice uh, that, uh, you know, that God's a good God and that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. What does all of that mean now? Why is the devil still doing what he's doing? Well, friends, if we get our police force in New Zealand, get every one of them off the street and send them all on a holiday, you'd be amazed how, how much disaster would happen. It's bad enough with police force on the streets. You pull them all back. You know, they call it the thin blue line. Um, you remove that thin blue line and you get the rogues and the criminals and the... Uh, the the, the, the madman and everybody just absolutely going for it. You'd have anarchy again. And, uh, you know, having a prime minister and having, you know, a government would absolutely mean nothing. I mean, they're there, but in all reality, that, that authority is not enforced. That's why we've got a police force to, to uh, exercise authority internally. That's why we have an army. Well, I think we have an army, praise God. You know, defend us from external uh, threats and everything. And everything. So that's what happens. You see, if the Christians don't know what we are talking about here this morning, they have never seen that picture. They don't do anything, or worse still, they say, well, there's nothing we can do. Then you have no police force in the earth to take dominion, to enforce laws, and to, to, to reestablish order again, and because that's what the word authority means, and the devil is running rampant. Sometimes I just do that for no other reason to remind me and to remind the devil that he's under my feet. <laughs> the Bible says that Satan is under our feet. That we have been seated together with Christ in heavenly places, far above all power and principality and might and dominion and every name that is named, every name that is named. The name, you know, sickness, sickness have got names. You know, calamities, disaster have got names. The Bible says that no evil befalls us, no plague comes near our dwelling. We've got to stand our ground and exercise our authority. And I'm already getting into next week's message, but how is that authority, how does it work? It, it works through words that we speak. It works to knowing and understanding who we are in our position that we have in Christ, then exercising that authority against the devil and just basically tell him how it's going to be. And if nobody does that, then the devil is running rampant in the earth, unchecked. And so that's why we, you know, we sang the song this morning, there's an army rising up. Part of that understanding of that army that's rising up is what we've talked about here this morning. To absolutely check the devil and to tell him what 
you know, how it's going to be. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, says, After Christ offered one sacrifice for sins, that was himself, and the blood that was shed wasn't the blood of bulls and goats and lambs, it was his own blood. It was his own blood that he took to heaven. It was his own blood that he sprinkled on that mercy seat. It says, After Christ offered one sacrifice for sins forever, not having to redo the sacrifice year after year after year, which is what they did in the Old Testament. All of these things were types and shadows of the Lamb of God that was to die once for all. He sat down at the right side of God. And now Christ waits there for His enemies to be made, or rather His enemies to be put under His power. Well, who is going to do that? You and me. The church. The body of Christ. We have the authority in the earth. Stop saying we only just, you know, sinners saved by grace. Don't say that. We are the saints of God. We are now the authority. We are, in fact, the scripture, the Bible tells us, we are Christ in the earth. He's the head. We are the body. And the anointing that was on Jesus is on us too. You look at the Old Testament model when Aaron was anointed, Psalm 133, it says that, that it, like, like that oil that was poured on Aaron and it flowed down his beard and it touched the hem of his garment. If you're a part of the body of Christ, no matter what part you are in the body of Christ, you are anointed with the same anointing that was on Jesus Christ. You have the authority whether you're the hand, the foot, the toe, or the nose, or what, what have you. It does not matter. You have authority. You can exercise that authority. And if you're not already doing so, begin to do so. Tell those demon spirits to shut up and to stop lying to you and to confuse you and to try to deceive you. Tell them to shut up and to get out. Don't listen to these voices. Tell condemnation to go from you. The Bible says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans chapter 8. How many of you are in Christ Jesus? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. One translation says that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting till his enemies be made his footstool. You know, when we kick back at home, we sit and we've got one of those little um, things there to put our feet on it. Like, that's what Jesus is waiting for. He's, he's, he just wants to put his feet on, on the devil's neck. Now, the devil's already defeated. Don't get me wrong. He's absolutely defeated. Legally, positionally, the devil possesses not an ounce of authority. It's all been stripped from him. But he's still operating because he's a rogue. He's a renegade. And it's like a lot of these criminals, unless somebody stronger than comes in, than them comes in and begins to enforce laws and captures them and puts them in prison, they will carry on um, being a criminal and doing illegal stuff. So a church is absolutely commissioned to subdue Satan and to make him his footstool. To put, it, put him under Jesus' power under his authority, and, uh, and Jesus is waiting. That's why it's no good saying, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, the devil's giving me a hard time. Bind the devil. Jesus is not going to bind the devil. Whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you shall loose on the earth shall be loosed in heaven. No good talking to God about it. God knows that the devil is roaming the earth. God knows the devil is harassing people. What are you doing about it? What are the believers doing about it? We're doing all right this morning? Praise God. Take this picture with you. Hang it on the wall at home. <laughs> you know, this picture about uh, spiritual authority and exercise from that position. Forget the picture of your experiences. Parroting the name of Jesus doesn't work just because we use the name of Jesus. 
it works because there is an understanding behind it. There is a revelation. When we speak, you know, sometimes we get excited and, uh, you know, we, some of us even wave our arms about when we pray and everything. But I tell you, there's times when I just put my arms on my back and I just tell the, tell the devil how it's going to be. Just absolutely tell him. Because it's not our physical strength in any way that intimidates the devil. It's our spiritual authority. That's what the devil understands. It's the name of Jesus. My name means absolutely nothing to the devil, but the name of Jesus means everything. The devil knows who kicked him in the head. <laughs> Pulled out all his teeth. You know, say, oh, but, but he's, he's a roaming lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Well, no, he's not a roaming lion. A roaring lion. He says the devil walks about like a roaring lion. That doesn't mean he is a roaring lion. He only walks about like one. In all reality, he's like a pussycat that had his teeth pulled out and uh, just still trying to growl like a lion. He said, Jesus is the lion. <laughs> the lion of the tribe of Judah. Hallelujah. Praise God. 